Blog Talk Radio. Unfortunately, we can't create that reality in the past. 
And so we find ourselves where we are. I also come from a perspective, as I know many of the listeners to this program do, where we have either experienced, and in my case both, or witnessed healing. And although that is something that many in the medical world may not acknowledge, it doesn't take away what we have observed or experienced. And all I can say is those who have witnessed this, these are impossible things, and they have happened. And so one of the issues that we're facing right now, and there's no good answer to this. This is why I've hesitated to come on, because I don't know the answer right now. I really don't. But I feel like we're really caught up in a catch-22 is the best way of putting it, and I'm trying to work my way through it. And so I'm coming on this program so that we can think about these things. When you take people away from their support networks and loved ones, and even they're relatively well, but let's say they're ill, that even if you don't believe in unusual forms of healing, psychologists have long told us that this will result in poorer outcomes. So some of what we're being driven to do because we really were not prepared for this situation and so to be fair we were not prepared and in this program I'd love to go even farther back and think about the decisions that we've made as a society um, and the more the deeper reasons why we're not prepared and also go beyond that feeling of helplessness, which, you know, we tend to start in that space because when we don't fully know how to navigate forwards, when it feels like everything that's happening, nothing's really answering the situation that we're in, in the moment, it's natural for us to feel helpless. All of this, is part of the spell of fear. The media is part of the spell of fear. I actually um, did an analysis a few days ago that doesn't take away that it's very clear our medical infrastructure, what we have put into place in our society to assist us is utterly overwhelmed by this situation. It was not prepared. It's not a blame game. Nobody knew how to prepare for something like this, although maybe they could have, but we're going to go down a different road than that. We simply were not prepared. And so that has then forced us into some pretty uncomfortable realities that people who are dying or ill don't have the adequate support that they need from loved ones to get better. Even if you didn't have this observational evidence, which I will talk about in a bit, of healing, that alone is going to decrease the positive outcomes. Um, I know of several 
situations, and I'm sure this is recurring over and over with the elderly who are used to being visited all the time, and I personally am involved in that kind of a situation, and suddenly those visits are gone. That, depending on how strong the person is, that could go one way or another. And there are cases where it was an elderly spouse who was visiting like all day long and eating all the meals. And I know of a situation where someone just feels abandoned. And it doesn't take away from what, you know, caregivers may be trying to do. There's only so much that they can do. And we all know that our medical infrastructure is overwhelmed. And so there just isn't a lot of time to show compassion because you're looking at the fundamental needs which don't include that unfortunately it contradicts itself because the mind and the heart those happen to be real needs psychologically people have real needs and the problem we're facing and yet the reason I have not come on this broadcast to talk about it because I don't know the answer right in this moment. But the problem that we're facing is the longer this goes on, the more negatively people are going to be impacted by their psychological situation, especially if they're sick and really need to hold the hand of a loved one. They need, you know, I know they're trying to do things by phone and Skype. It's not the same. Anybody, I mean, what if it's a child in the hospital? How many of us parents, reparents, I mean, I personally have in the past, but every second by a child, a very young child at the time who even pulled their IV out. And if I hadn't been there right that second, nobody would have seen it because people can't be there all the time. Um, I've been in recent situations. Nowadays, they tend to, if they want to keep someone in bed, They'll have an alarm that'll go off. Well, those poor nurses, if you don't have a loved one in the room and if someone is in a situation where they're not really thinking about whether they should be getting up or shifting or whatever, that person is going to be out of that bed so many times and the nurses don't have time to deal with that. So what are they doing? Are they sedating people? And then how does that impact the outcomes? I know of situations where, you know, Someone on a respirator, which is not a comfortable experience. I didn't personally witness this, but, I mean, they can be in significant discomfort. And a loved one, at least there, holding their hand can help. A very stark and, um, you know, starkly medical clinical environment with everybody in mass, like they've arrived on some other planet, And then the discomfort, I read an article about how a number of patients are struggling with the breathing tube. And a number of elderly people will actually choose not to have that kind of intervention. That's part of their living wills um, because of the discomfort. That doesn't mean that it isn't saving lives out there. But again, we are in such a daunting situation. I don't know the answer. But one answer I do know is we cannot endlessly or get into a pattern, which would be even worse, or get into some situation where there's no end point in sight, uh, 
where we're not attempting to come up with more compassionate solutions. Now, given that we are overwhelmed, that's a problem. In some areas, not every area is overwhelmed. And I think the other thing we need to look at in terms of fear is the media is not helping us. It doesn't matter what station you're watching. I, in the last few days, have over and over, it's on the newspapers everywhere, how the United States has the top number of cases in the world. Well, in raw numbers, that may be true. But if you do an analysis, it's actually something like the other night I did it. I haven't done it in the last 24 hours. It's been a couple of days. We were 14th. We were 14th because you have you, raw numbers in statistics, and I actually have a mathematical background, but one doesn't need it for this kind of simple math. Raw numbers are meaningless. Those are only meant to frighten or um, get good ratings or I really don't know what, but that kind of behavior is not helpful for us. We need to have balanced information, that people deserve to be respected in that way, to have balanced information, which we so rarely see. The actual percentages are really low in terms of how many what percentage of the population in any given country has tested positive? The deaths are even lower. But that's still, I mean, we're talking well below, um, you know, 0.1% in a lot of cases. Well, actually, let me, let me look at this just to make sure I'm representing that right. Um, okay. A couple days ago, and, you know, we can't know this. There's so many variables in this equation. Clearly, there is no country that has done extensive, extensive testing. And so you can't really know. But a couple nights ago, on the the 26th, um, Switzerland was in the lead. This was based on raw data, data from John Hopkins University, with the percent of the population that had, that had been tested positive of the whole population was 0.138%. Um, the United States that night was actually 0.026%. And I think the problem with this kind of statistic is it makes it seem like we don't have a problem. Well, we do have a problem because our medical infrastructure is being overwhelmed wherever there is an outbreak. We just hadn't planned for this. I mean, if someone could go back and maybe look, I mean, if anyone, I've had situations in recent years where a loved one was sent to an emergency room, and even on a good day during flu season, you might not be able to find a bed. We had to wait for a bed in the hospital. And certainly ICUs, I mean, I even remember that, that, that person, if they had needed an ICU, they would need to be transported to another hospital far away. So even on a normal day, there was not enough infrastructure there. So I think it's, it's helpful if we look at this more of, 
as a medical infrastructure problem than an overall population problem because so far the statistics do not show a huge percentage of the population needing those medical beds. And there's a lot of things we just don't know. But I will return to this very important thing called compassion. Something else we need to think about. We know that the lockdowns, and I'm staying at home. I I haven't gone out at all. I probably am like the the perfect example of someone who has stayed home more than most, but I'm used to staying home because I work at home. So for me, it's pretty easy to stay home. I haven't even walked, which I enjoy. But So I'm the first to say I'm staying at home. However, there's a problem with that as well. If we continue this too long, the sociologists will tell you, and there are articles on this, and it's not about selfish economical motivations. I mean, that's often out there right now. But just that our society isn't structured to be able to handle being shut down. And that's going to become more urgent. It may already be urgent. And then what is the answer? Again, this isn't a program where I can present the answer. I think that if we get in a position to be considering these things again, the people making the decisions need to be a committee that includes sociologists, that includes, you know, maybe more studies need to be done because the medical community alone is very focused on those outcomes and they are noble outcomes. They want to save as many people as possible. Of course, that's noble. But in the process, and there was, there was an article that I just saw where people have done studies, experts, and there's a point where, you know, if you totally shut down too long, um, the health impacts are worse because down the line, the society is impacted so that other health conditions show up later or, you know, the society breaks down. There, there are just a lot of things that need to be thought about, and I know that people are trying their best. But I feel like many of us have these thoughts, and I think that there's a tendency for many of us to not question. And you can question and still be doing what it is. I mean, not having a better alternative answer right in this moment. I'm sitting here questioning at home. I'm not saying go run outside and, you know, get together or whatever. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we are facing some incredibly difficult questions. Now I'm going to bring this farther back. Um, Where did we steer ourselves into this? And this may help us after this whole thing is over. And let's hope we navigate through it well. 
I mean, I am generally an optimist, and I certainly want to believe that we will be creative enough to get through what this is and come out the other side and make wiser decisions. But ultimately, I think what we're really seeing, and this can show up in different ways, is advanced technological industrial societies with giant cities, they don't necessarily last because they face things that are daunting. I never would have thought of a pandemic. And actually, this one isn't as bad in terms of death rate as some. It could, you know, it's not the plague, which was really, really devastating. But we just, we have to start listening more to the evidence surrounding alternative things, what people would call alternative things. And that's when this whole notion of healing comes into play. You know, my family would not even be spiritual. I am the granddaughter, well, part of it would. I am the granddaughter of an evangelical minister. He was a street corner minister, and he was laying on hands, and this was, you know, they were really into what they believed in that time. These were people who fully believed in healing. And part of my family became even more spiritual because my aunt, when my grandmother prayed for her, when she was in a polio bed in the hospital, she had polio, she got up and walked. And that made a lot of people even more religious, I can tell you. Later, there have been other mysterious things. And there is evidence of this all across different spiritual paths and we need to start paying attention to that and one thing that makes me really uncomfortable in this situation is what if someone is of one of those religions and they're not allowed to be with the loved one what if my grandmother had not been allowed to be with my aunt and there are skeptics listening who say oh well that was just a coincidence it probably didn't happen it's just whatever Well, fine, you can believe that way, but you're taking away the freedom of religion of those people, which is a fundamental right. How are you going to do it? I don't know the answer, but I think there has to be something that we need to go towards because there is a substantial portion of the population who have a spiritual path and these coldly clinical approaches are not necessarily the ones that are going to work. So we're caught up in this society. We are caught up in a society in which spirituality is diminished and materialism is elevated. Materialism meaning these people believe in a material world and do not believe there is a spiritual world. That is dominant on our planet right now in terms of how we face things like this pandemic. Longer term or even in the past. In the past, we overcorrected. We used to be more spiritual, but we went too far. And so we made an overcorrection as a society. 
And here we find ourselves. In the future, we need to be thinking about this. We need to be thinking about who we are and what we truly believe in and stop undermining ourselves. I posted a painting that I came across um, recently. It's You'll see it on the page um, if you go to the show page that I posted today. And the live show is going to go down in about five minutes, but I'll probably continue to speak for a little while. Um, I do want to thank those of you who are listening live. And if you want to hear more of the program, you can either dial the number on the screen and you can hear it live, or you can just listen to it after if I go over. But there's a painting that I included with this I came across the other day. It's a painting of Sleeping Beauty um, and... She's pricking her finger on the spinning wheel. Um, And there's this witch who's sitting there watching. And she's under a spell. And she's pricking her own finger. And I got to thinking about this image when I saw it. And in how many ways are we doing this? In how many ways are we both the fear that's causing us, we're both embodied by that fear that's causing us to make unproductive decisions and pricking our finger at the same time. And I would contend we're actually asleep and not awake. She's like she's sleepwalking and then she goes into a deep sleep. Well, many of us are asleep already. I know that there are some listeners who have been taught an alternative explanation to what is going on right now, that something else is going on totally that has nothing to do with this illness. And I have to say that that has I'm not necessarily on that page and that that too can put you to sleep if you have some elaborate theory. And what happens if that doesn't play out the way that you expect? What then? And so I, you know, I, I'm happy to, to hold a space for multiple possibilities, but I'm not on that particular page right now. Um, I haven't really studied it, and I'm not on that page. I think, um, you know, there, there are any number of theories that are out there, some more elaborate, and we don't know yet, I mean, many of us. I don't claim to know how we've gotten to this point. All I can say is in terms of raw numbers, what we're really looking at is we're really showing that our approach to medical infrastructure hasn't worked. And will it work in the future? What will our future be? Will we band and evolve to include other ways of looking at things? Will we actually explore those things instead of just denying them? Because so many people are afraid to look at this notion of healing. They just don't look at it, and they just dismiss it without any evidence themselves. Those of us who have observed it or experienced it. No, there's something to it. And it deserves our time as a civilization. 
because this really does come down to, you know, who are we going forward? What is advanced? What really helps us? If we were to know that reality is broader than we actually have been taught to believe by the materialist or the rationalist, and I won't call them the scientists because it's scientific to explore actual reality. So what is science is just the study of reality. What is rational, that's not even a proper term, is the actual study, reality. So the live show is going down now. Um, thank you if you have joined us live today. I, I always appreciate the live listeners. And I'm going to be talking just a little bit longer into the archive. And this may just be the first show of a series of explorations because I think that that's what we need most of all now. We don't, you know, some of us may be better at, at providing counseling or answers um, of a different kind. Um, I think this show right now is going to be just more of an honest exploration. And I can't really predict when it will come on again, but um, I will come on if I'm so led. But we need to be thinking more deeply at a very basic level, just a fundamental what-do-we-do-now level. We also need to be thinking about balance, balance. We need to think about the human psyche. We need to think about how many people have been impacted by this. I think this here has nothing to do with um, whether you believe in healing or anything unusual or not. Um, when we think about things in a balanced way, we do think about what are the overall long-term health effects to decisions we're making right now. And there are no real easy answers here. Um, but we need to be thinking about that. That's where the historians and the sociologists come into play. That's where the psychologists come into play. I mean, it's really easy. If you're in a position, and, you know, many of us have lived many paths. Um, I worked as a software engineering lead for many years, and even a, an engineering communications manager and did very well. However, this, you know, if that situation shifts, and, you know, I have a feeling that this might be worth doing another show on, um, your circumstances can eventually shift as well, no matter how much you have saved up. It only lasts so long unless you're independently wealthy. And then what do you do? What about business owners who have really gone out on a limb with their businesses? They've done really well, but if it just poof disappears, what happens? And I know there are interventions, people attempting to do things, and I would also suggest that things that help people survive and buy food and keep a roof over their heads, those things are important. Because if you take that away, then what long-term health effects are you going to have? And this is the big variable. This is the big unknown right now. 
we drag this out too long, what happens? Same thing with isolating the elderly. Is that a long-term plan? I mean, are they going to be isolated for a year, you know, until there's a vaccine? Well, I can tell you a lot of them aren't going to survive that. They need their loved ones. They didn't, they didn't sign up for that, the people who went into assisted living. They didn't sign up for isolation. And that's not a viable long-term solution. So then, you know, you're back to these very challenging questions. And do you vet, what is safety? What is safe? Is it safe for people to, you know, not have a way of bringing in money to put food on the table? Is that safe long term? Well, we're trying to mitigate it. How long is this going to go? We're going to face some really hard questions like that. And it has to do with, you know, we want safety. We want to, I think our um, our materialistic in, instincts, even our human instincts, they drive us towards, you know, the, the best solution, the best solution, you know, save as many lives as possible. That may seem the best solution. You can't look at that unless you also look at the sociological and psychological implications and what those impacts are. Otherwise, you have tunnel vision. You know, maybe short term you can look at that, but not long term. And the studies bear that out, that you absolutely must look at both. Otherwise, um, I heard someone describe it. They described it as, and I can't remember who said that. It was just someone on the radio one day. The surgery was successful, but we lost the patient. That's what can happen. Now, I'm looking at this like the materialists do. I am not a materialist. I am a spiritual person. I have seen evidence of spiritual phenomenon, and I'm not going to, you know, just because you haven't, those of you who haven't seen evidence of these things or have been afraid to look for evidence of these things or open yourself up to evidence of these things doesn't take away for those of us who have what we know. So whether you like that or not, that's my path. I've seen evidence of spiritual phenomenon and quite remarkable things, things that just disappear more than once, masses, gone, instantly. Things, I mean, just impossible things. And what happened to my aunt is really amazing. I didn't come to this spiritual path right away, unlike many in my family. Um, I really wasn't on that path, and I'm on my own path now in the way that I come to understand it. I am not um, an Assemblies of God Christian or affiliated with that. I don't even know exactly what that church was long ago of my grandfather's, but it was similar. No, that's not my path. And yet I have seen evidence of spiritual phenomenon. So... We have big questions to face. We have long-term questions to ask. Are spiritual advisors being allowed to see these patients? I would love to know that because if not, we're in a very stark situation. And, you know, there may be very little 
that we feel we can do right now. But if it continues, you're going to see poorer outcomes. That's just the way of things. When people don't have support or they feel isolation, they don't do as well, especially if they're sick. They give up. And elderly people who feel abandoned give up. That doesn't mean there aren't resilient elderly people. I know, I know some of them. However, as a strategy, it does not account for all of the variables. We weren't prepared. And one can ask the question, is a technolog- technological society alone ever really prepared for some of the things that it might face? If we had a giant solar flare, if an asteroid was approaching, would we know what to do? I know this sounds just ridiculous to some of you. Pardon if I sound a little scornful. I'm a little on edge today. Yeah, I am. I'm not particularly happy with this situation, and I'm sure you've felt it in my voice, and it's true. It doesn't matter if I'm spiritual. I could be talking about the peace that passeth understanding, and actually probably in a few minutes, in an hour, I'll feel it. It comes on because it passeth understanding. You know, we have no right to feel inner peace, and yet for the most part, I do. But it doesn't mean that I don't have a certain amount of um, what we would have called righteous anger uh, on some paths, although it's not quite that strong. Frustration, righteous frustration, I'll call it that, because I do understand it's hard to be angry when it's such a daunting situation. I mean, it's really easy to throw blame around. It's incredibly easy to just blame this or that, and that's more like anger. Um, but it's more frustration when you feel like, you know, darn it, we just haven't gone the right way. You know, what can we do? But I do know that some will judge my spiritual insistence, and there's nothing I can do about that. I'm on this path. I've seen evidence, and I'm going to continue on this path. Nothing will change that for me because that's the reality that exists as far as I'm concerned. And as much as others may insist there's some other reality, fine. I have my own, and I've seen it, and many others have as well. So long-term, I was just about to say, what's the solution to asteroids? Telekinesis. You know, that may sound ridiculous, but in a world where developing such skills is is actually possible, I almost said impossible, well, that's what some people believe, we don't know what we're capable of in this world. We have seen evidence of healing, and we need to find our way forward with balance. And it is my hope that this situation will ultimately lead us to the conversations, even if they start on a materialistic level, that at least respect the spiritual paths of those who are dying. That at least respect that some of them actually do believe that a loved one could stand by their bed and lay hands on them and they would be healed. We need to move into that kind of respect, And 
also a society that isn't quite so um, self-assured that they've solved all these problems or that technology will solve all these problems. Look at how fast just not having masks on hand has daunted us. I mean, material societies are based on materials. That's a really simple example. It's really unfortunate. I know people are rising to the occasion. And maybe if we had a better solution, we'd also be able to bring a family member in, even if that person had to be quarantined after whatever. We have to come up with a better solution. Next time, assuming there is a next time, this shouldn't be happening. Compassion matters. The psychology of people They matter. The feelings and choices and wishes of people. You know, family members in hospital and nursing environments don't just provide emotional support. They provide actual real support. When my son was a year and a half and he pulled his IV out in the hospital, I was right there. The nurse wasn't. A nurse can't be there all the time. You know, maybe some alarm went off. I don't remember, but I was right there. And, you know, actually I was upset. I had sort of, I I don't know, I think I'd sat down or dozed off or something. I was right there in the room. You know, you couldn't, it was multiple days. You can't stay up every minute. I was there the whole time with him. And we serve a purpose. We make sure that living wills are being honored. Um, Like I have a loved one who wouldn't want a respirator, probably more than one. And, you know, family members ensure that those wishes are met. We ask for help when we see that someone needs help. We keep them from getting up best we can when those alarms are on the beds. That's a new phenomenon if you haven't been in a hospital recently. We do a lot of things. And though it's a challenging situation, which seems not to have a good answer, it doesn't take away considering those things we have to consider them to just dismiss that as a minor thing is wrong frankly it's not thinking through the problem completely and it certainly isn't providing a solution that will have any sustainability you know when we look at what is the long-term future Over Los Angeles, they're seeing the sky. The skies have cleared. In Venice, they say that dolphins are showing up and fish in the canals, and suddenly the water is running clear. And how heartbreaking it will be when they must go back to their way of life, and the clouds or the smog appears again, and the fish and dolphins are driven away, and the water is dirty again in Venice. Can't hardly speak today, but I'm feeling it. I'm feeling this as much as any of you. I know many of you are feeling it out there. I'm a human being too. Um, I'm sitting in a little apartment and for the most part doing very well. Um, I enjoy looking out on what I have to see and, you know, but it doesn't keep me from being righteously frustrated. What are we going to go back to? How is it sustainable? 
For so long, we've been told higher density housing and all being in cities is the right thing. I'm not so sure. I don't think so. Because you really can't, it it seems it would be better to be more spread out. I mean, certainly in this situation um, and in others, we need to really rethink things. We need to think about how are we going to create a sustainable lifestyle? We need to rethink spirituality. Maybe we need to assess who's making the decisions and how many, you know, have really do have a spiritual path and they're just shutting them down because they're being told to, even if they know better. Even if, you know, in their personal lives, they're very spiritual. We need to really get a feel for who we are as a civilization and who we choose to be and how we choose to live on this planet. Because it will be heartbreaking when the smog reappears. But that's the situation we live in. How do we move forward? As a spiritual person, I believe spirituality is the answer. And that more of us will wake up. I didn't used to do a show like this. Are you kidding? When I was younger, I mean, I may have had some inclinations here and there. And I've had variations in my life. Questions and doubts and thinking about things. I still think about things like that. I mean, I still, but I'm a spiritual person. As to the details, yes, I think about them. A lot of us do. But the thing is, we have to find a productive way forward as a people. We have to really be thinking about how is compassion integrated into everything we do. We need to really be thinking about what sacrifices are we making for the sake of safety We really need to think about that. We need to be thinking about, is AI, as it's been described to us and being developed, really working in our best interests? We really need to be thinking about that. We need to be thinking about, are we really educating ourselves in a way, or educating our children such that they are learning an ethical way to be? compassionate way to be and in these times right now if you're sitting in a very comfortable space how tenuous that is those of us who have seen what can happen and certainly what historians have seen and let's hope um, we're not in for a really harsh transformation here we may be we don't know but it's really what it feels like to not know how you're going to pay your rent or your mortgage and maybe you've gotten a temporary reprieve. Actually, often people will give you that, even without an emergency. The problem is those reprieves only go so far. Sooner or later, you've got to catch up. And then what if we've interrupted things, you know, There's a good case to be made that maybe it needed to be interrupted. Maybe we were on the wrong path. And as souls, we chose something pretty dramatic 
And on the other side of that is something better. Maybe. But I would love to hope that it's not going to be quite so difficult because we've been through some pretty difficult transitions before in our history. And I really can't say what's ahead of us. But what I can say is there are people who are terrified. This is a show about fear. I'm not really terrified. I could be scared. I mean, sure, I I don't have a perfect relationship with fear. I have fears. We all have fears. But I know how you can't, it's very disconcerting when you don't know, you know, if you're going to have enough money for the groceries or if you could pay, if you had to have medical care in certain areas or whatever. It's incredibly daunting. And a lot of people are facing that shock, not to mention psychologically the death of a dream is really tough. What if you've had this incredibly successful restaurant and, you know, it's just you're just on top of the world, you're living your dream, maybe you're living somewhat on the edge because you've invested into it, and poof, it's gone. Okay, we're trying to help people like that. How long does that go on? How long? What is the, what is the end game? How, what is the price we are willing to pay for a certain type of safety and then sacrifice the patient, so to speak, if that's society? How do we figure out how to live in a better way? I heard something really positive this morning um, in a county that's quite um, quite conservative. They realized, somebody who was like a commissioner, realized they didn't need to build this new building they were thinking of building. I heard this just waking up. I heard it on the radio. Um, And maybe they didn't need to because it's turning out, you know, people are actually working from home pretty well. Wow. You know what? I'm one of the first telecommuters, I swear, certainly at my company. I mean, I maybe not one of the first, but early. I started telecommuting in when my son was born, essentially many, many years ago in the 90s. So, yes, absolutely. And what freedom that provides. You could live anywhere. You could go live in the country if you want. Not everybody would have to be in the cities. Now, would we? If we could live wherever we wanted, maybe we wouldn't choose to live in the city. Some people really like what's going on in the city. Some people don't. Maybe cities aren't that sustainable of the size that we have. Maybe we need to rethink things. Maybe we can make it a little more gradual and not so drastic. So that was a bit of good news to hear that. Who else out there who's listening? Trust me. I've had, you know, very, I will tell you, in terms of my career in the business world, it reached every possible dream I could have had for it. I might have said that it ended somewhat prematurely, but it really didn't. I needed to go on to something else, and I had to let go of a lot of things, and I had to live much more simply. But um, I have, you know, it, it went just fine as far, and now I'm actually even using some of those skills again. It hasn't really ended. So there may be people out there that are rethinking everything. That's kind of what happened to me. 
is I could have gone and gotten many number of jobs in very similar to what I had somewhere else or wherever. But could I really have? Actually, in the situation I was in, not exactly. I needed to be home for some really good reasons. And just like I, I needed to be home when I chose to be a telecommuter. So people may be making some important decisions right now and rethinking how to be. Maybe suddenly you have an idea for a new business. There are things that could come out of this that are really positive. Maybe you're going through a spiritual awakening of your own. I didn't just have this spiritual awakening one day. I actually went through a very difficult experience. And one could say it was a series of experiences because it wasn't all that long after 9-11, and that probably kind of started it. And, you know, that was like a wake-up call for everybody who went through that. Then a year later, I had something that was potentially life-threatening, which, by the way, poof, disappeared. But it scared the heck out of me. (laughs) That eventually led me to ask, show me the way. You know, when you ask, show me the way, or if you just say, okay, universe, unnamed whatever, creator, however you want to label it, if you're really out there, whatever you are, show it to me. Show me. Give me an example. Hold on to your hat if you ask, and you mean it, because When these things come, they don't just come in ways that are all in your head that you can't prove. Sometimes you're with other people and you see things. And no, it's not a group fantasy or whatever. Ask and you will see. But you have to be open to to learning it. It's not an easy path because this world is not a walk in the park. So it's much easier, actually, to believe in nothing sometimes. I get that, although I never was really able to do that. I get that because there's darkness and light in this world. There's no question. And the minute that you start to see that there's more to it, then you have to ask some bigger questions. I will always be a believer that love is stronger than anything. That light is stronger than anything. And any shadow in this world, as difficult as it is for us to understand why it would exist, exists only because, number one, we're free. We're free in this world. And some dark things happen. And two, it teaches us to see the light. It teaches us a better way to be. And those lessons aren't always easy. But everyone has to come to their own space with this. And if you're feeling a call to something more, if that's what this period of isolation, however long it ends up lasting, this period of trial, if that's where it takes you, Ask. Just ask. I'm going to need to wrap this up because we only have an hour max, even though the live show ended a half hour ago. 
Thank you for being here. This is the Frontier Beyond Fear. I am Susan Larison Dans, and actually, can you feel it in my voice? I've found the peace that passeth understanding again, because it's real. I hope you can too. If somebody asks you and says, well, be careful who you ask, fine. Ask your creator without labeling it as an entity or whatever, just just that. Keep it open. You can't go wrong with a question like that. Ask, if you're so led, and think about things in a balanced way, no matter who you are. Think about things. Study history. Think about psychology and sociology. Think, and think with your heart, not just your mind. Think. Feel. Feel your way, and we'll start to find the answers together. Take care, everyone. I don't know when I'll come on again, maybe even tomorrow. We'll see. Thank you for being here today. Thank you.